Well, I want to uh, welcome all of you here, especially those of you that are visiting. Welcome over in the venue. Glad you guys are all there. Thank you, John, for leading worship over there. I know we have lots and lots of people that watch online, and we're grateful for all of you if you're listening on the radio. Um, I'm just thankful you're listening, and, and happy Mother's Day to uh, all of you. Um, we're right in the middle of a, a series here at, at Big Valley Grace on marriage entitled uh, The Fruit That Makes a, a Marriage Great. And our uh, theme verse has been Galatians chapter 5, which says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And what we're doing is each weekend uh, we're looking at one of these pieces of fruit, if you will, and seeing how they might play into having healthy relationships, uh, healthy marriages. But this week, we're gonna do something a little bit different. I'm gonna pull out of the series and do a special message on uh, parenting. Um, I've entitled it, What Every Child Wants. I mean, What Every Child Needs. We know that children have lots of wants, they want a pet, they want an Xbox, they want a smartphone, they want a computer, they want a bike, they want candy, they want to have their friends spend the night. Those are just some of the things that my kids always tell me that they want. The list goes on and on and on. Our kids have lots of wants. You have wants. Your kids have wants. I don't want to talk about wants. I want to talk about their needs. What every child needs. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 22. Teach children how they should live. And they will remember it all their lives. Th th those are six weighty words. Teach children how they should live. I mean, just, just think about that for a second. The Bible says it's your responsibility to teach children how they should live. God wants you as a parent or a foster parent or a, a grandparent, a guardian, us as a church, to teach children how to live, which is super important because if you don't teach your children how to live, somebody will. Hollywood is more than happy to teach your children how to live through the movies that they make, through the sitcoms that they produce. Hollywood is well on its way to teaching your children how they ought to live. In fact, Hollywood's done a pretty good job teaching you how you ought to live. Maybe it's the music industry. Through all of the songs and the lyrics that kids hear today, the music industry is more than happy to teach your children how to live. The, the music industry teaches your children what's right, what's wrong, what they ought to honor, what they ought to you know, get their lives involved in. The, the government, they, they are all about teaching your children how they ought to live. They spend billions and billions and billions of dollars teaching your kids, and they've taught many of you, by the way, how you ought to live. God says you teach your children how they ought to live. You. There's all kinds of influences out there, but it's your responsibility as a parent, a foster parent, a, a guardian, a, a grandparent, us as a, a, as a church. Now what I wanna do today is I wanna give you a, 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 a few thoughts here, okay? And this isn't gonna be a comprehensive list. Um, and you'll notice, for those of you that are here all the time, that there's no fill in the blanks in your, in your little program. And that's because I really want you to pay attention. 
I don't really want you writing a whole lot of stuff. When you leave here, not only will you get a beautiful flower, all the gals, but I have a little sheet of paper here that says, uh, what every child needs. And there's a whole bunch of things on here with some passages, and it's your gift. You can, you can take this thing, you can put it in your Bible, you can look at it later. If you're single, maybe someday you're going to have children, you're going to want to look at this. This is just a tool that you can use. If you want, you can use it as kindling to start the next fire you got. And I know some of you will do that, unfortunately. But it's for you. And so don't worry necessarily about writing everything down. Uh, um, Also want you to notice that inside your, your program, we've got the ABCs of parenting. And we have a great parenting ministry here at Big Valley Grace. We are interested in, in being a blessing to you as moms and dads or grandmas and grandpas, foster children, you know, parents, or whatever it is. We, we just want to be, come alongside of you and help you to teach your children how they ought to live, your grandkids how they, how they ought to live. Okay, so, so here we go. We'll see how many of these I can get through. N- number one. Every child needs to know that they're uniquely created by God. Every child needs to know that. The government doesn't want kids to know that. The government wants kids to think that they're just a happenstance of nature. The government wants kids to think that maybe they're just a little, they're just educated goo. They're just a little higher up the evolutionary chain than an orangutan. Every child needs to know the truth. And that is, they're not educated goo. They're not just up the evolutionary chain of, a, of an orangutan. They're not a happenstance of two molecules that bumped into each other a billion years ago or whatever the number is. They need to know that they're a uniquely uh, created uh, human being. In fact, they need to know that God created everything. The Bible says... In Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created. And I've told you over and over again that in my humble opinion, those are the, the five most important words in all of the Bible. Because if you can't get past those first five words, then nothing else really matters. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created. God created the heavens and the earth. God created all the, the stars that are in the sky. He created all the fish that are in the sea. He created all the plants that grow on the earth. He created all the birds that fly in the air. He created all the bugs that crawl on the ground. He created all the animals that roam the earth. In the beginning, God created. But then the Bible says that God created his masterpiece, which was you, your children. Listen to what Genesis chapter one says. God said, let us make human beings, you, your children, in our image and in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the tame animals, over the earth, over all the small crawling animals on there. So God created human beings, your children, in his image. Beloved, we as human beings are made in the very image of God. And that's what makes us special. It's what makes us unique. It's what gives our lives dignity. It's what sets human life apart from every other type of life. It's called the the sanctity of life. Yes, You know, God created cows and goats and whales and spiders and frogs. He created it all. But only we as humans were created in the very image of God. And children need to know this. Your children need to know this. They need to know that they're unique, that they're special. That they're not just educated goo or, 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 you know, an animal, so to speak. That human life is, is way different. Listen to what King David said in Psalms 139. He said, you made all the delicate, all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. He's talking to, to God. Thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. 
And this is back before they had microscopes and all that kind of stuff. King David could just look at his body and go, whoa. Maybe he had seen some babies that were born and just, man, this is unbelievable. Maybe even in the heat of battle, he took a sword out and, you know, you know, cut some guy's stomach open and he's looking at a kidney. He's looking at a spleen. He's looking at a heart. And he's going, whoa, whoa. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Listen, don't ever let a biology teacher or a professor or any parent tell you that you're just an accident, because you're not. Yes, there are accidental parents, but there's no such thing as accidental babies. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. Beloved, there are tons of illegitimate parents in the world, but there's not one, not one illegitimate child. Not one. If you're here, it's because God wanted you here. Every kid needs to know this. But we're up against it. Mom, Dad, you're up against it. Hollywood, music, the government. This ain't an easy gig. What I just shared right there, let me just tell you. A lot of people listen to our broadcasts. I'll, I'll, you won't believe some of the things I'll, I'll get, some of the emails I'll receive over that. But every child needs to know that they're unique. Every child needs to know that, that, that God created them when they were inside their, their mother's womb. I got a watch on right here. Obviously, this watch was made by somebody. It didn't create itself. I, I got this plastic bottle here. Does anybody want to stand up and say that this bottle created itself? That's ludicrous. You all know that somebody in a factory made this piece of plastic. You know it. This could not have created itself. This didn't even take a lot of intelligence to create. And yet the world out there will tell you, you're just a happenstance of nature. You're just, you know, billion years, whatever the number is, of, of evolution. And there you are. Here you are. Look how complex you are. King David was right. You are so complex. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. This takes no intelligence at all to make, but you know it had a creator. Just think about you and how you're made. Obviously, it took somebody with a lot of intelligence to put a human life together. Children need to, 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 to know this. Psalms 100 says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. He made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And this is the first thing that your child needs to know. Every child needs to know. I think it'd make a difference. I think if every kid knew that they were unique, special, created by God, they'd stop acting like animals. We've taught them that they're animals, basically. And so is it any wonder that they act like it at times? Number two, every child needs to know that God has a special plan for their life. Not only are they created in his image, God has a, a, a special plan for their lives. God has a purpose for their life. Jeremiah uh, chapter one says, uh, God said this to Jeremiah, before I made you in your mother's womb, before God says, I made you, I chose you. Before you were born, you were set apart for a special work. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, probably your children haven't been set aside to be a prophet to the nations. Maybe they have. Point is, is God had a special plan for Jeremiah, and he's got one for you, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, and he has one for your children. Most of you understand that. There may be some of you in here right now, and you, you, this is all new to you. 
You were never taught this, and you might be in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s or your 60s, and you've never heard this before. This is just an unbelievable thought. Before you were ever conceived, God knew who you were and he had a purpose for your life. Before your child was ever conceived, God knew about your child. And not only did he know about them, but he had a plan for their life, a special plan for, for your life. And by the way, the Bible's full of examples of this. The Bible tells us that John the Baptist was actually filled with God's spirit while he was in his mother's womb. While he was inside his mother's womb, the Holy Spirit filled John the Baptist. And the Holy Spirit doesn't uh, fill, you know, just a ball of uh, cells. The Holy Spirit fills human life. And why did God's Holy Spirit fill John the Baptist while John was in his mother's womb, Elizabeth? Because God had a plan for that child's life. The great prophet Isaiah said, all of you people in faraway places, listen to me. Listen all you nations far away. Before I was born, the Lord called me to serve him. The Lord named me while I was still in my mama's womb. God knew Isaiah's name before his parents ever gave him a name. God called him before he was born. God had a plan for his life before he was ever born. He simply used God's parents to bring him into the world. And the same thing is true for you. And the same thing is true for your children. God designed you in his image and he planned before your birth that you'd have some special thing to do just like he did with your children. God said this in Genesis chapter 25, and the Lord told Rebecca, told her, Rebecca, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. Beloved, God had a plan for these two boys long before they were ever born. And the same thing is true for your child. For every ch child. This is why followers of Jesus Christ don't believe in abortion. Because abortion short circuits God's plan. God thought of you long before your parents did. You were made in his image. He's the one who created you. He's got a plan for your life, every life. So whenever a baby is aborted, killed, it short circuits God's plan, you see. Ephesians chapter two says this, for we are God's workmanship, you. You're, you're, you're his masterpiece, the Bible says. Your children need to know that, that, that they are special, they're unique to God, they're made in his image, they're, they're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned long ago. You see, when the Lord gave me my three kids... They're, they're his, they belong to him. He's the one who created them and they're on loan to me for however long I get them. God's word says, Rick, I want you to understand that those children are created in my image. I've got a special plan for their life. In fact, I've got something that I planned for them long ago and that's why it's important for me as a parent to try to figure out what the Lord's will is for my children. Not what my will is for, for them. But what does God have planned for my children? What is the thing that God planned long ago for my kids? And I need to be an encouragement to help them go in that di direction, you see. Every child needs to know that they're one of God's masterpieces and that he you know, has a plan for their life. Max Licato said this, quote, you aren't an accident, you weren't mass produced, you weren't an assembly line product, you were deliberately planned, specifically gifted, and lovingly positioned on this earth by the master craftsman. Isn't that good? Every child needs to be taught that. I know they have lots of wants, but this is something that every child needs to know. And for some of you, you need to know this. Some of you are here and you're going, you know, I've never even heard this. I didn't understand that that's what the, 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 the scriptures uh, taught. Number three, every child needs to know that they're sinful. 
They need to know that sin has impacted, you know, everything. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. The Bible tells us in Genesis that God created the first two human beings, Adam and Eve, and he put them together. It was the first marriage. And God gave them a free will, and they made a decision not to obey God. They sinned against God. And what that did was it it caused a mess on planet Earth is what it did. Now this, this thing called sin had entered into the world. And so when Adam and Eve had their children, not only was the genetic code there for how tall they'd be or how short they'd be or what color their eyes would be, what color their hair would be, but they also received what is called a sinful nature. Their children all had it, and then their children had it, and then their children had it, so on and so forth. And when you were conceived, you had a sinful nature. When you had your children, you passed on that sin trait, if you will, to your children, and it goes on and on and on. At the very moment Adam disobeyed God, sinned against God, that brought evil into the world. It messed up everything. It stained everything, including you, including your children. And your children need to know this. You see, the Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. The great prophet Isaiah said, all of us, your children, like sheep, have gone astray. We've left God's path to follow our own. Some of you are here right now and you've left God's path to the degree you don't even believe in him, right? And that's how far away you've strayed away from God. And you raised your children that way. And I believe that maybe here over in the venue, you're listening on the radio, watching at home, wherever it is, maybe in this room right now, God is doing something in your soul right now. Your children need to know that it's sin that causes them to think the crummy things that run through their minds. They need to know that it's sin that causes them to do the crummy things they do. It's sin that causes them to disobey. It's sin that causes them to lose their temper. They need to understand that it's sin that causes people to do all the crummy things that they see on the news. You know, when they walk by the TV and, 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 and they hear and see about a guy who kidnaps three girls and keeps them locked up in a dungeon for 10 years, they need to understand that it's sin that caused that man to do those evil things that he did. A lot of our kids have no clue and they wonder, man, why is there evil? Why does all this happen? Why do I feel like I want to disobey? Why do I do the crummy things I do? Why do I say the crummy things I say? Why do people do evil things to me? Why, why do I, my classmates say bad things to me? Why do my classmates do, do crummy things to me? They need to understand that it's sin in their classmates' life. It's sin that has so messed up everything. They need to understand this. So they can get a grip on what's going on in their lives. God said this through the great prophet Jeremiah, the heart is the most deceitful of all things and it's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And I know that when you're holding your little baby, you think, well, what a little angel. It's so sweet and so nice. And then they grow up to be an adolescent. Oh my God, what happened to them? What happened to my angel? It doesn't even, you don't even have to wait till they get to be an adolescent. Just take two little children. Take two, um, well, they could be two-year-olds. Put them in a room with one ball. And watch the selfishness. You can see sin at a young age. It's there, lurking. It's just as they get older that it begins to really rear its, its ugly head. Look, the world is messed up because the human heart is messed up. When you look at all the crummy things that people do to themselves or to each other, it's all because sin has stained our hearts. And your children need to understand this, you see. But most importantly, they, they need to understand that, that sin messed up their relationship with God. Yes, it causes all kinds of stuff on this plane, 
But more, most importantly, what sin does is it, it severed the relationship that we had with our creator, the one who made us in his very image. And you need to know that. Your children need to understand this. Now, now this brings me to, to number four. Every child needs to know that Jesus is the only way to have their sins forgiven. Okay, every child needs to know that they need a relationship with, with, with Jesus. Let me take us to one of the, the, the passages of Scripture we tend to read a lot at Christmas. It's in a lot of Christmas cards and songs have been written about it. Matthew chapter 1 says, She, that's Mary, will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because Jesus, like all children, like you, had a plan and a purpose for his life. And here was his purpose. He was going to come and save people from their sins. That's all of us. We've all sinned. And sin destroyed our relationship with God. Sin destroyed the relationship your children had with God. And Jesus came to save us from the consequence of sin. Jesus came to forgive people. He came to save us from the, the penalty of our sins. And every child needs to know this. Your child needs to know this. Some of you are here and you need Jesus in your life. Jesus himself, he grew up, and when he was about 33 and a half years old, this is what he said. For God so loved the world, your children, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish because of their sin, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to bring condemnation. But what he did was he came to save the world through him. That's why he came. You see, he didn't need to come to bring, to, to, to bring condemnation because we were already condemned. Our sin already condemned us. He came to bring life. You need to know this and your children need to know this. They need to know that sin messed up everything, but God so loved them that he sent his own son to come and die for them. In fact, let me give you the, the, the heart of God. In, in, in 2 Peter, it's, it says this. It says, the Lord is not slow to do what he has promised, as some think. Instead, he is patient with you. And why is God patient? Because he does not want anyone to be destroyed because of their sin, but he wants all to turn away from their sins. Beloved, this is the heart of God. When you think about the cross, when you think about Jesus and all that, that's a, a God that's saying to you, man, I love you and I care about you. I don't want anybody to be destroyed because of, of, of what Adam and Eve did and the sin that they brought into the world and the sin that's just been passed down throughout the generations. I want everybody to give their life to my son. I want everybody to have their sins forgiven. That's the heart of God, but God gave us all a free will and you can make the choice whether you want Jesus or not. And a lot of people, and some of you, will walk out of here today going, that was nice, I got a nice flower, thanks for the deal, but I don't want Jesus, I don't need Jesus. I don't believe in God. Yes, I believe that this had a creator. Obviously, that had to have a creator, but I believe that I am here because of two molecules that got together a million years ago. And that's what some of you will do. I know, I used to think the same thing for a lot of years. Second Timothy chapter two says, for there is one God and there is one who brings God and human beings together. There's one. There's only one thing that brings God and human beings together, only one thing, not all your good works, not by putting money in that offering basket that went by, not by being in church here today, not by singing songs, those are all good things and God wants you to do those things, but there's only one thing that brings God and man together. There was one thing that separated us, that was sin, and there's only one thing that brings us together, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem everybody. 
Your children need to know this. At an early age, the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And for some children, they can call on the name of the Lord at a young age. They, they understand the fact that they were made in God's image. They understand the fact that God has a plan for their life. And they understand that sin short-circuited that plan, so to speak. And all of my children, at pretty young ages, all kind of grasp those biblical truths, you see, and invited Jesus Christ into their lives. Number five, every child needs to know biblical truth. They need to have a biblical worldview, in other words. Now, most of you don't realize it, but every day you're affected or you're influenced by the worldview of lots of people. Your children are impacted by the worldview of lots of people. You're impacted by the worldview of your parents, your friends, you're impacted by the worldview of the people that you work with, you're impacted by the worldview of Hollywood, you're impacted by the worldview of uh, uh, the music industry, you're impacted by the worldview of the government, you're impacted by the, the, the worldview of your teachers or your professors. All these and others have influenced your life in ways that most of you aren't even aware of, but the worldview that influences you most of all is your own. And what's sad is about two-thirds of you in this room and over in the venue, you don't even know what your worldview is. You just kind of wake up every morning, grab your coffee, go to work, go to school, do whatever it is you do, and you don't even realize how all of these worldviews impact your life or impact your family, especially your own worldview. Now, what exactly is a... A worldview, a worldview is simply a set of beliefs that you build your life on. That's what a worldview is. It's what you build your life on. It's how you view everything in life. It's how you view God. Some of you have a worldview that says there is no God. Some of you have a worldview that says that when you die, you know, you just kind of go into a pine box and the worms eat you and that's it. Some of you have a worldview that believes that when you die, if you lived a pretty good life, you come back as an eagle, or if you lived a crummy life, you come back as a beetle, or whatever, however that works. I don't know how it works, but that's your worldview. Some of you have a worldview that it doesn't matter how you live down here, everybody just gets to go to heaven, right? It doesn't matter what you do. You can be Hitler. You can be that guy, you know, trapping women in his basement for 10 years, and everybody gets to go to heaven, right? <laughs> That's your worldview. Your worldview impacts how you view life and death. It, it, it impacts how you view yourself. Some of you today are hearing a, a worldview you've never heard before, that, that I'm not just two molecules that came together, that I am uniquely made in the image of God. You've never heard that before. Your worldview is, is that you're just an orangutan, or a little bit, you know, up the evolutionary chain of, a, of, a, of an orangutan. Your worldview uh, determines how you view pain and suffering, good and evil. It's how you view your past or your future. It's how you view relationships. Your worldview determines, you know, uh, your, your, how you view money, how you view your possessions. Your worldview determines whether you believe in Satan, the demons, Beloved, everything you think about life is included in what is called your worldview. And the truth is, everybody has a worldview whether they realize it or not. Everybody operates off of some set of beliefs. And in my humble opinion, it's the most important tool you have in life because everything you do in life is based on a set of beliefs or your worldview. You see, every time you're faced with a decision, your brain is wired in such a way that it automatically accesses your worldview. It automatically accesses your set of beliefs to help you know what decision you ought to make. So if you base your life or the decisions you make on a faulty worldview or a faulty set of beliefs, man, the results can be disastrous. Let me give you an example. Let's say you and your spouse aren't getting along. You're fighting and all that kind of stuff. Your worldview the set of beliefs that you live by will determine what you'll do about it. Do you work things out? 
or do you get a divorce? Do you go into the altar room and allow the spiritual leaders to pray for you? Or do you call a hitman? I mean, what your set of beliefs will determine what you do at that moment. You see? You're at the grocery store and you're picking up some groceries and the, the gal winks at you and flirts with you guys. What you believe to be true, what your worldview is, will determine what you do next. So obviously it's important to clarify what your worldview is. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And one of my favorite verses in all of the scripture it really clarifies a lot. You see, it's this book right here that teaches us what's right and what's wrong. Hollywood has a set of beliefs. They will, they're trying to tell you what's right and what's wrong. The music industry is trying to tell you what's right and what's wrong. The government wants to tell you what's right and what's wrong. This is the thing that tells you what's right and what's wrong. It corrects you, it trains you, it helps you um, clarify what your sets of beliefs are. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 30, every word of God is flawless. It doesn't say that every word of God is easy because a lot of what's written in this book is very difficult. When you choose to live your life according to this book, let me tell you something. Um, you'll be labeled a hater, a bigot, a right-wing fanatical. Um, they'll marginalize you. The Bible doesn't say that every word in here is easy. The Bible just says it's flawless. It's perfect. But much of it isn't easy. It goes on and says, he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. In other words, when you choose to live your life uh, by what's written in here, when, when this is your worldview, it's like a shield. And, and, and the writer, probably Solomon, had a picture probably of all of the soldiers with shields. And if somebody would fire a, an arrow at them, the shield would block it protect them. Or maybe if somebody came at them with a sword to try to chop their head off, bang, the shield would protect them. And the Bible says, when you choose to make this your worldview, when you choose to live according to this, it protects you from all the stuff out there. Like, let's just take one thing. The Bible says that uh, sex is a beautiful thing. I don't know how it got that, you know, Christianity was prudish about sex. Are you kidding me? God is a, is, is a God who created sex. It's, it's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. Hip, hip, hooray for sex. But God says it needs to be between a man and a woman in, in, in the covenant of a marriage. Anything outside of that, the Bible says, is immorality. It's sin. And so if you're not married and you're single and you're having sex with somebody, the Bible says that's sinful. If you are married and you have a, a sexual relationship with somebody who's not your wife or someone who's not your husband, the Bible says that's sinful. And when you choose to live by what God's word says, sex between a man and a woman, you know, in the covenant of marriage, it protects you from, I don't know, STDs, How crummy is it when a wife all of a sudden comes home and finds out, you know, she's got an STD because her husband was out goofing around with some gal? Protects you against unwanted pregnancies. Protects you against the pain and the sorrow that come when you get involved sexually and then you break up. God's word is flawless. Now, I understand the flesh. 
It's not easy to control your flesh. I, I understand that. Everybody in here does. But when you choose to live by it and say, you know what, this is how I'm going to live. It protects you. It's a shield to your life. Then I just gave you one illustration, and that is sexual immorality. Every child needs to know that this is what they're to build their life on. That this is flawless. It's going to be difficult. But you live according to what God's word says, and man, it'll protect you. It'll shield you from all the crummy arrows and swords and the things that come to try to destroy your, your, your life. Uh, number six. Every child needs to have godly heroes. Okay, they need to have you know, people they can look up to as role models. Every kid, just about every kid grows up you know, and says, you know, when I get older, I want to be like... When I was a kid growing up, I wanted to be like number 22 of the Miami Dolphins, Mercury Morris. I wanted to be just like him until he got busted for selling cocaine and spent three years in jail. I don't think my parents wanted me to be like him as it related to that. For a lot of kids, they idolize sports stars. For a lot of kids, they idolize Hollywood stars. Some idolize music stars. Let me ask you, do you know who your kids idolize? Do you know who they're going, man, I wanna, I wanna be like that person, that gal, that guy. Do you, do you know who that is? Are you helping them understand what a real hero is? Are you giving them any examples as to what a real hero is? Jesus said this to a group of men in Luke chapter 16. He says, you like to uh, appear righteous in public, but God knows your heart. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. And you read that today and you just go, man, that's just so true even today. It's unbelievable what we lift up as a society, isn't it? We tend to honor wealth and fame and good looks and athletic ability, acting abilities, singing ability, power, and these tend to be the, 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 the kinds of people that we make into heroes, but, but God doesn't care about these things. Now, nothing wrong with being wealthy or famous or looking good or being a good athlete or whatever. There's nothing evil or bad you know, in, in and of themselves, those things. But God honors something way different. I remember about 20 years ago here at Big Valley Grace, I went to San Francisco International Airport. This is before 9-11, so you could actually go to the gate and you know, pick up the, the people that were, you were gonna pick up. You know, now you can't get through security if you don't have a ticket. And I was gonna pick up one of our missionaries, somebody that was serving over in another land and they were coming home maybe to do a missions conference or something, I don't remember the whole story. But as I was waiting there, these TV cameras came and they, you know, they were setting up their TV stuff and all these little kids were all waiting around the gate and um, the, here's what they were waiting for. There was a guy on that plane and this is what he did. Check this out. This is just mind boggling. He, he would take a ball, round ball, and he bounced it. It gets, it gets better. And then, and then he would take that ball and he would throw it in the air and he could make it go through a round thing. <laughs> oh, get the TV cameras. Where are the kids at? Gather them around. A guy's getting off the plane and he was good at it, better than most, of bouncing this round ball and throwing it through this metal hoop. Got to get that guy's autograph. Can, can, can I get your shoes? I want to put those in my house. Because I want to look at those shoes because, man. Woo! Oh, man. I got I to get a poster of that. I put that On that same plane, this missionary walked off. No TV cameras. Nobody waiting to get his autograph. Nobody wanting his shoes. Nobody wants to put a photograph or a poster up in the room of him. And he quietly got off the plane, humbly got off the plane. I got him in my car and brought him here. 
<laughs> Unbelievable, our culture, huh? The things that we value. The things we got all pumped about. Put posters up. Spend money on. And we forget about maybe who the real heroes are. Let me read to you one of the most amazing pieces of literature ever written. It's found in John chapter 13. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and he was now going to return to God. So he got up from the table. The Son of God got up from the table. The second person of the Holy Trinity got up from the table. The sinless Son of God, the righteous Son of God got up from the table and he took off his robe and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. He's making his way around a table of 12 guys. Dirty, rotten, stinking feet. They didn't have you know, shoes like this. They were all open-toed, no cement roads or sidewalks, dirt, filth all over the feet of these men. And here's Jesus, humbling himself, washing their feet. Our culture would look at something like that and go, well, that's crazy. We, we don't honor those kinds of things. People in positions like that kneeled over some feet, cleaning them. <laughs> you don't honor those kinds of people. This is the kind of person. Crazy, isn't it? Just crazy. Now, I love sports. Nothing wrong with loving sports. But when you really think about it, wow, we've got things so goofed up. And last but not least, and I'm going to end with this one, and you get all these and about eight or nine more on this sheet I'm going to give to you. Every child needs you as a parent or grandparent or guardian or whatever to be a godly leader. They need you to be the main adult in their life, to model what a real hero is. Listen to me, listen. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whether you believe this or not, you are your son, your daughter's, your grandkids' hero. You're it. You're it. I love what Paul said in Philippians chapter three, he said, brothers and sisters, all of you should try to follow my example and copy those who live the way we showed you. And that ought to be one of the great verses for those of us that are moms or dads or grandmas or grandpas or guardians or whatever, that we'd be able to look at our children and say, hey, you know, Megan and Cade and Gracie, guys, listen, you're never gonna be Jesus, and there's some great heroes in the Bible that you ought to know about, but let, let me give you a real life soul that you could follow. You follow your dad. You just kind of live like your father. You do what your father does. Because I know that I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to follow the Lord, and if you're following me, when I finally you know, take my last breath, boop, I got you on a good path. Now, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, we're not gonna do it perfectly. There have been plenty of times when I've had to gather my family up and be an example in, in, in how to repent of sin and had to look at my children and say, kids, listen, what you just saw your father do or how you just saw your father act, let me just tell you something, that was not how Jesus would have wanted me to act. And would you forgive me? That was really crummy. But once again, I gave them an example of what they need to do when they blow it, because they're going to blow it too, right? Listen, your kids need you as a parent to be an incredible role model for them of what, you know, what a Christian looks like, what they act like, what's important to them. 
Now, now here's the deal. I want everybody over in the venue to stand up. I want all of you to stand up, okay? Everybody stand up. I got through uh, seven of these. And there's eight more on the back side of this. And there's some passages. And Here's the deal. If you're here, or you're over in the venue, and you're thinking to yourself, hey, listen, not, forget about my kids. This is new to me, too. And maybe you'd like to know more about Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never invited Christ into your life. We have a place right over here. These doors open, and our spiritual leaders, pastors, are in this room, beautiful room over there called the altar room. We have one over in the venue. And you could go in and say, hey, I want to know Christ. I've never given my life to Christ. Maybe as you're looking at this list, you felt a little beat up. I know I did. I don't do all these things very well. If I could only stand up here and talk to you about all the things that I do well, then well, I'd never stand up here. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, I'm in process too. And maybe, maybe you really fumbled the ball and you, you know the Lord. Maybe this would be a great moment, you know, just to say, God, help me. I've, I've done a pretty good job giving my kids everything they want. They got all the toys. I just haven't been giving them what they need. And you could begin today to be the parent that God wants you to be. It's never too late. It's a beautiful thing about the Lord. My favorite character in all the Bible was a guy by the name of Samson. He made a bloody mess of his life. But his greatest day was his last day. That's what I love about the stories. It's never too late for God to blow your mind and use you. And maybe today is the day that you begin. And the altar room is available for prayer, whatever it is you need. Don't forget on the way out, I'm gonna pray. You get a flower, pick one of these up, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for today and what it represents. And, and I know there's lots of joy on Mother's Day, but we also know there's some sorrow, God. And we just pray your blessing upon all our gals here. And they deserve more than a flower but it is a way for us to say thanks and we love them and care about them, Lord. I do pray that maybe somehow you would take this little sheet of paper on things that kids need and, and you'd, get, you'd really do some neat things with it, Lord, in all of our lives, including mine. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, blessings to you. Don't forget to pick those.